Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. Right, well, we're thrilled to welcome back to the pod one of our favorite third Pelton brothers. You know him from his writing about the Seahawks on the Athletics Seattle, as well as the co-host of the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Please welcome back Mike Sean Dugar. What up? What up? How you guys doing? We're doing well. I mean, maybe not as good as the last time we talked, I guess, before the start of the season. <sighs> yeah, things went downhill really, 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 really fast there. I got to compliment you guys, man. I don't get I get asked the best questions of anything I ever do on on here. No one, no one, no one's better. We get the best stuff out of me on on, uh, on this pod. So I'm very happy to be back. It's putting the pressure on <laughs> <laughs> Russell Wilson. Tell us about him. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff you're looking for. Uh, I mean, that's, oh man, that's, that's what I get everywhere, man. I just went to my, I just went to my, uh, it was my auntie's birthday and she's my mom's sister. Uh, and I went over there to her, uh, her house, her mom's house, my grandma's house. And like my grandma just is bombarding me with Seahawks questions. Like (laughs) what's going on with Pete? My auntie wanted to know about Ken Norton and my grandma did what we're probably going to do now is run through free agents. She was like, all right, Mike, what what about Bobby? What about Rashad Penny? It was like my she has some good insights. I tweeted some of her takes yeah. the other day when I when I was there. Yeah, I forget what day that was, but like yeah, everywhere I go, it's Mike. What's going on with Pete? What's going on with Russ? What's going on? So it, but it's usually very surface level, and I, it, I feel like it will be better, be a little better yeah, here. No we have pressure. All the same though, so. questions. <laughs> well, we should start with a question that we got a great response to on Peltoncast Live from Home back in September 2020, which is, I, and I don't know the case this season because it was kind of mixed interaction with the players. But do you have any good behind the scenes covering the team stories from this season? Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a very weird. It's a very weird year. I don't know if I have anything fun because they stunk. Uh, <laughs> I do, man, that's that's actually really tough. I think one of the one of the okay, no, one, a kind of more serious note. I think what Bobby did with his press conferences every Wednesday was really cool, and I wish the team was better so I could have uh, written about that. I think Larry Stone at the Times ended up doing it. I didn't yep. read it. Um, full full disclosure there, but. I, I wanted to do that piece that Larry probably did, um, but it just didn't feel right because they weren't winning. Um, it just, but I, I thought taking the, and people probably know, but like Bobby just opened every Wednesday press conference with something on his mind, whether it was um, financial literacy or just business, investing, a book, a podcast he wanted to recommend, a YouTube series or something. He just was like, excuse me, he just wanted to be in control of his situation, which is what the theme of what I was going to write was like, he's in control, you know, and he has been for a while, you know, being his own agent, um, you know, controlling that situation, now controlling his media situation, you know, just grabbing, it's a very mature thing he did. And it was, his topics weren't always like super enlightening. And the, if he'd asked me the, the, I would have changed like the method of it. I would have tipped us off about what it was beforehand, just so we could ask follow-ups. Cause some of us were like Googling the thing in real time. And there would always be these awkward pauses after he was done between, and then the next question. Cause we're all like, okay, what did he ask about? Let's Google it so we can act something. So I would have just tipped us off. So we are all in on it and could have made for a better discussion on some of those topics. But I thought that was really cool to see Bobby in that way in year 10, 
kind of peel back the layers there because he's a very closed off guy. Like people don't know very much about him or his family or his hobbies outside of being, you know, his love of Ninja Turtles and his mom. And that's really it. So that was kind of cool that he did that independent of what the messages were in each individual session. Do you feel like you could tell, give him that feedback about giving you the info beforehand? Because for me, like as an artist manager, hearing the people who are responding to to what somebody is saying, hearing what they think and how they could receive it better and respond to it is like the most valuable information. Yeah, I, I plan to. Um, I, I don't know why I didn't. It probably just, I probably was like, it just doesn't matter at this point. Uh, Cause I didn't think about that until like week 10 or something like yeah. that. Uh, when I had just other stuff to think about, Russ's finger and the team making the playoffs and disaster. But it, I, I probably will this off season if I run into him. I'll be in Vegas for the Pro Bowl. So uh, I think Bobby made it. Yeah, he made it. Um, Bobby made the Pro Bowl, right? You tripping? He was all pro, it? so I assume so, yeah. He was second team all pro. I can't remember. But if he's out there, if I run into him or something, I'll, I'll, I'll let him know. Um, so that, that was kind of cool. Uh, an interesting, like I talked about this on the pod and this is not as fun, nor is it like that quirky behind the scenes, but like week three after the Vikings game was like a really interesting, um, post game. Um, there was two, two most interesting post games. The, the Vikings one was the one where like Trey flowers kind of sounded off and he ended up never playing again (laughs) after that. But it was like, I felt so bad for him after that because some of his quotes got put out there in ways that like misrepresented what he said and then like it was so bad because he was just he was the only guy who really talked to us it was him and dj reed um like bobby didn't talk after that game i don't remember if jamal talked um quandre was gonna talk like he's standing there where this is when we could be outside the locker room he was he uh, he walked out quandre did to go to the bus and was like hey can we get six right we do jersey numbers for some reason like hey can we get six and the pr guy's like you want to do it and then Quandre clearly didn't want to, you can see on his face. And then Bobby's like, look, man, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. And then he didn't, right? So I think then we ended up talking to Trey. And I and I bring that up, it's like, because none of those guys have to. It sucked. They lost, especially on defense. They looked terrible. Yeah. It looked like they didn't even know each other out there. They're screaming at each other. It was awful. And then Trey, Trey had said something to one of my questions. I asked him, because I had spoken to his uh, his cornerbacks coach, um, whoever it was, this guy named O.D., He's on Instagram. If you go see him, he trains a bunch of cornerbacks, like half the guys who are all pro this year. He trains. He's based in Atlanta. And I talked to him before that game and I was talking about the next step of Trey Flowers. This game is being able to um, like see the play, understand your assignment, but understand you can cheat based on the time, situation, down a distance, whatever. Um, and it's something they had been working on in the offseason. He was like, I think that's the next step for Trey. Um, and I asked him about that. I asked Trey about that after the game. I said, hey, I talked to O.D., you know, can how do you incorporate that? How can you see that I ran cover two and I'm supposed to be, here's my landmark, but I mean, shoot, it's third and three, so I can cheat that a little bit if I only got, you know, just, I asked him that within that context and he said something, he gave a really good answer. He was like, um, and then the back end of the answer was, well, I mean, it sounds like you're asking me to be Richard Sherman. Um, and to Trey's point, it's like, yes, that is what Sherman did. Sherman would have his assignment and say, screw that if he recognized something and then that's how he would get the place. But that I, for, I forget how that got out, but I feel like a lot of people put that out there, just that part yeah. or something. And it just it sounded really bad, really, really bad. like Trey never played again after that. Uh, so like it went over bad with not just fans and stuff like the coaches clearly didn't like that either. And I just felt so bad for him because he was right. Like based on the context of what I was asking, that is what elite players like Sherm do. Mm-hmm. They do those things. And I just I just felt like he got a bad rap. 
that day. Uh, and I still to this day feel bad for him because he I don't know if you guys saw he tweeted after the Bengals oh, won. I saw that. He was yeah. like, yeah, he was like 12s, leave me alone, basically. And it just like to think that people are still like on him. It's like, leave him alone. Like you guys wanted him out the lineup and off the team. He's out the lineup and off the team. Leave him alone. Like, and definitely could have that, used him it. later in the year. On the Seahawks, like there, there were games that would have been really nice to have had Trey Flowers after his release. I thought that was very fucked up. I, I didn't see anybody saying anything, but obviously if he's seeing it, then it happened. It was just like, right. this is a human being. Like, do you think he wasn't trying in those games? That's always <laughs> what it comes back to. It's like, he's trying as hard in the Bengals game as he's trying in the Seahawks game. And Trey Flowers made plays on the Seahawks, right? Like, especially from like where he was drafted, like he probably exceeded value for the team. I thought that was very fucked up that, that people were yeah. giving him any shit for it. That was, yeah. I, I, one thing that was interesting too is Trey in that, and I wrote all this too in my story from that. It's not like no one put, talked about what actually was asked and answered. He mentioned specifically, we got to do something about these in breaking dig routes. He was like, I don't know, like, we're just not covering them that well. And the Vikings basically spam them with those. And they played the Niners the next week who did the same thing. Uh, like the, the, the play that Debo has is a 76 yard touchdown in week four is uh, Sidney Jones follows the dig route, and then the, I think a wheel route goes right behind him, and he blows the coverage, right? And it's like, well, see, yeah, damn, Trey Flowers wasn't wrong. <laughs> they still don't know how to cover dig routes. And then week five, all the Rams ram w- was dig routes. Robert Woods, backside digs. I think they call it like a dagger concept or something like that. That's all they ran, and then kick, kick Seattle's ass. I remember thinking, like, man, I, t- I think I told Chris this on the pod. Man, Trey Flowers, we might owe him an apology, man. Like, he was on to something. He was not the source of the issues. But I think the other... The other kind of interesting um, thing after the after behind the scenes covering the team, and I, I did write about this as well. I ended my column on the game with it was after the Washington game, showing one of the offensive players the two point conversion that ended in an interception. I still won't name the player, but because um, he didn't consent to like me necessarily including it in that way, uh, but just showing because he hadn't seen the replay and he, he just like just like I was like oh. You want to check it out? Because the way it was, I was watching it, uh, just waiting for whoever was supposed to come out and do the podium. I just happened to be watching it. And then someone comes up behind me and says, hey, can I see that? And I'm thinking it's like another writer or something like that. And I learned, I'm like, oh, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, I haven't seen it. I was like, oh, <laughs> you're not going to like this. <laughs> and then I did rewound, rewound it, uh, showed it. And then I wrote like uh, his reaction. And it was just like, man, you just never really get to do that. You know, it's like when the when the somebody's family, you know, jumps on the Zoom and show, tells them they made the All-Star game or something like that. Like it's to catch that raw reaction is so rare. And it was kind of also a reminder of like these guys really don't when they lose, they some guys really detach from the game. They don't check their phones for that. They don't check the stats and nothing. They're just like, I need to, to get to the bus or go home and not check anything. So, yeah, for that guy to not even. And he's a guy who was like on the field for the play too, and just hadn't hadn't seen it. That was kind of interesting. That's something that we used to be able to get in open locker room, and hadn't and we lost that. So to like sneak it in there, uh, outside of the locker room was was kind of fun. I guess those are all things after losses. But I mean, there was so many losses this year. That's kind of all, <laughs> kind of all, all we had. But yeah, those are kind of a couple of things that stand off the top of my head, kind of behind the scenes ish type of things. Yeah, definitely missed that sort of access. It's a it's a weird time for access in sports and understandably as the pandemic rages, but definitely a bummer. All right. Well, now let's get into the the Russell Wilson question. 
and talk about his future. A year ago on this pod, you were part of that group of the athletic that originally broke the story, you know, going deeper into his, his unhappiness after we had gotten the original kind of leaks through the media after the Super Bowl. And at that point, you kind of figured that it was unlikely that anything the Seahawks did in 2021 was going to change his mind about his concerns. And lo and behold, not only did they not achieve the success they had, you know, he's injured, doesn't play much of the season to the level that he expected. Where do you think we stand right now with Russell Wilson's level of contentment as a member of the Seahawks? I think an interesting thing is, and I was thinking about this the other day, is how does, I asked Russ, I think, what, why does he think they didn't make the playoffs? I asked a few people that. I asked Pete. I think I asked Tyler as well. They all gave interesting answers. I think Russ's wasn't as interesting. But I was tr- what I really wanted to ask him, which I couldn't in that setting, is what role do you think you played and why you guys didn't make the playoffs? Because it, it was very clear last year that he felt like his role in why they didn't win the Super Bowl was very minimal. Almost like, hey, I played well, I cooked, you know, the protection was clearly issue. Like he's protection, protection, protection. You know, Jason Locking Ford just randomly tweeting out Russ's sack numbers at like the day of the Super Bowl or whatever. Like it was very yeah, it was just very clear um that the pass he felt the pass protection played the biggest role, probably some other things, but that played the biggest role. And I wondered what does he feel like they didn't what was the reason this year? Like not like asking that. Uh, rhetorically, I really want to know what he thinks. I know what I think. I know most people think was the reason. There's a ton of things. Bad on third down. Their quarterback got hurt. Um, you know, a bunch, a bunch of things. You know, defense bent a lot without breaking. It really didn't. Wasn't like the best way to go about defense that year. There's a ton of reasons, but I want to know what Russ thinks because if, if Russ is like, all right, I just got hurt for a month. You know, if I'm fine, you know, we win some of those close games that we usually win. You know, I don't stink coming into Green Bay, you know, like he easily could take a very optimistic view and be like the pass protection was actually fine, which it was down the stretch. We ran the ball well, which they did down the stretch. Defense played well enough to win, which they did in a lot of those games uh, that he was not very good. I would lean towards him being of that mind. But boy, if he's not, (laughs) it might (laughs) could get really ugly again. Because uh, you remember, he usually goes on like these press runs, Pro Bowl time. He didn't make it this year, so maybe it won't be Pro Bowl unless somebody pulls out. Cause I think he's an alternate. Uh, Pro Bowl time, he usually does a Super Bowl media press run. So if he does that again, it could be really interesting if he's of the other mind that like, no, man, these guys blew it. Like even when I came back, I came back to a bad team. I came back to a team that couldn't run the ball, which he kind of did. Um, you know, he could just blame it on a bunch of a bunch of stuff. Not to say that he's right or wrong in any of this, but like I think the thing that I didn't hammer home enough, not just in that story, I don't think, I don't know if he did a good job. Maybe you guys can tell me. But even after that, I really wanted to make clear like what we think, fans, coaches, media, what we think did not matter. This is Russ's brain matters. What Russ thinks matters. I remember everyone talking about how whether the Seahawks had a successful offseason with the Gabe Jackson trade and signing some guys. Who cares what we think? What does Russ think? If Russ thinks they had a bad offseason, then he might want out, and that changes everything. We could all think that the Gabe Jackson trade was the best thing since sliced bread or that the Gerald Everett signing sucked. doesn't matter. What does Russ think? Um, so, like, trying to read Russ's brain is, like, where I'm at in the offseason now and kind of where we all should be. Like, if we're all trying to rationalize this and how we process the season, you're just wasting your time. It's all through Russ's lens. 
Um, and his lens is really hard to read, as you guys know, because he'll say a thing. <laughs> yes. I want to be here. I hope to be here <laughs> next year <laughs> and specifically get presented with the context. I did that first. And then Corbin Smith, SI, did it later at another press conference, said, hey, Russ, you don't have to hope. You have a no trade clause. I said that after I the Lions game. So you don't have to hope. I reminded him he has a no trade clause. He said he gave a non-answer. And then yeah. Corbin Smith did it again. I forget when. Uh, and dodged it again. And it's like, well, when you do stuff like that, and then a week later, Ian Rappaport says you're exploring your options. Well, it's, we don't. I don't know what to think about what this guy wants. His brain is very hard to to read in that way. But like I said, I, I, if I had to guess, I put money on it. Um, I don't know how much this means because I got hammered on the wild card games. Uh, <laughs> so maybe maybe me putting money on anything doesn't. And I got hammered in the divisional round. Uh, so maybe me putting money on it is not great. But if I had to on this one, I think I would lean more towards Russ providing the organization, I guess, and the roster the benefit of the doubt since this is the first time he did not play every game. And he is, as he knows, the most important player. So I, I would guess that we're in for a bit of a quieter offseason wow. for that reason. And then the second reason I would say is that the thing that pissed Pete Carroll off the most about that wasn't that Russ was upset. Everyone gets upset. They all, they're all pissed. It was that they told Schefter on the record, the four teams, you know, that yeah. is that they did the Dan Patrick interview. Is that they did the, I think he did an interview with CBS in the Super Bowl. He did the man of the year thing. And while the man of the year lady is moderating the, the freaking uh zoom is like hey just keep acts about his school or whatever like she's telling us this in between questions acts about the the award acts about the award we're like screw that are you happy here or yeah. i think greg bell asked uh are you frustrated with the seal it was a great question by him because who cares about the man of the year at the time it was that peach thing was like dude you what are you doing why are you letting everyone know our family secrets that's basically what it was so i think it's part of because the pete right? no, yeah, it's, because it's people hammered Protect that home team. Protect the exactly. Team. Protect the team by the rule number one. So because Pete probably hammered that home last year, I would imagine. Um, I don't think Russ does that again. And if he does, then it's really over. Then it's like you can't just keep breaking the rule number one multiple years and, and still have a happy relationship with the with the head coach. I don't I don't think. But because of that being rule number one that he violated last year, I would anticipate a quieter offseason. I'm so encouraged by this news. It's funny because like you, you came on last offseason and were basically like it felt seem pretty confident that it was like this year and then the next year is a big question mark. And now the way that Russ performed and the injuries and everything like that kind of changed everything. This last weekend that we had, we now have an all NFC West NFC championship game. We have Aaron Rodgers potentially playing, having played his last game in green Bay. Do you feel like this weekend would change anything for us? Or it was interesting. I saw like, there was a quote from Michael Bidwell, owner of the Cardinals, who was like, yeah, I'm pissed anytime I see two NFC West teams in the NFC Championship game. And it's like, that's kind of a positive. Like, you played one of these teams, but as a competitor, I get it. Like, I'm pissed that there's two NFC West teams in the NFC Championship game. Do you think that seeing the level of talent that's in the NFC West could change anything for us? Yeah, it could. It, that also depends on how he looks at that, too, because I... Um... I was actually having this debate with some of my homies because um, they were pointing out like we're right there. You know, we beat the Niners twice. We've been, you know, the being Seahawks fan. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you can't beat the Rams. So like it's, it, <laughs> you know, it's like you can't. And I don't know who's going to win the game. My guess would be the Rams win this time around, um, even though they never really beat the Niners. It's a weird the NFC. As you guys know, the NFC West is like weird. What's it? It's like Pete can't beat McVay. 
but McVay can't beat Shanahan, but Shanahan for the most part can't beat Pete, you know, and then Cliff Kingsbury just his teams die after like October. Uh, so it, the whole division is kind of wonky. So it's not like a straight one to one. Oh, we beat the Niners two times. So we're right there. I wouldn't. That was kind of my counter to that. Um, even when I think Pete on the Mike Sox show after the year was like, we're right. We're, we're right there to being a contender or he's just sort of, yeah he sort of right there to being a contender I remember talking to Chris uh was like no they are not I was like they're right there to being a playoff team for sure yes for sure they're close to being a playoff team honestly they were probably better than the Niners and the Eagles at the very least I I would say they were they might have been better than the they actually I believe they were better than the Raiders and who was the other AFC team that got blitzed yours um Oh, definitely. definitely better better. Than the I definitely think with Russ, they're better than the than the Steelers for for, for sure. Um, so like, yeah, they were. But look at all those teams got smacked, with the exception of the Niners. Um, so it's like, I don't know how. There's a difference, I think, and I tweeted about this during the wild card round too. Like, there's a difference between being close to being a playoff team and being a contender. And those wild card scores that caused me to lose some bread that weekend are really <laughs> showcased that. Uh, so I think Russ can look at that a couple ways and be like, wow, yeah, I think, you know, I think what will really influence is not this past weekend, but um, what happens this coming Sunday, like if the Niners win, then it's like, well, damn, we beat the, we, we beat the team that, uh, you know, is representing the, the NFC, which is probably how they could have felt in 2019 as well, what they beat the Niners and then lost because Jacob Hollister is like an inch too short or something like that. And it's like, well, if that's the case, we're right there. I just I just don't think you can do that specifically with the Niners. I just think that that matchup's been so bad. And even these last couple games, I was going to tweet this too. I was like, I don't really need to rain on any more parades. But like, were they really going to beat the Niners in week four? Like, Trey Lance played the whole second half. <laughs> You know, and I think it still ended up being a one possession game when it shouldn't have been. And that was Trey Lance, and I believe he had played like seven snaps before that. So that was his first time actually playing the full thing. Yeah, Yeah, and the game that they won up here in Seattle, I mean, if I remember this correctly, the dude Jimmy was going to throw to on the final play that Carlos batted down is wide ass open. Like, I can't remember who it was, but he is wide open, if I remember correctly. And then Shanahan said he was going to go for two, because I think that would have put them down one. So Shanahan was like, we're going to get out of here with a win. Of course, there's no guarantee, A, the guy catches the ball on the final play, and then B, that they actually get the two point. But my point with all that is, like, I don't know how much better the Seahawks were actually than the Niners. Um, But Russ being the pessimist or excuse me the optimist sorry him being the optimist that he could see that that way yeah no i I, it's it's tough like i said i've tried a lot to read i've I've tried to read russ's brain way more than a healthy person should um my guess again would be that he leans toward the optimistic side of like we were right there with the rams because they were down i think only a touchdown when he got hurt in the first rams game and that second was basically one possession until the um, the DJ Dallas penalty. Um, the actual DJ kicking the ball is what put them in field goal pos- position. Because who knows? They probably just would have ran out the clock, and it would have been one score. So you beat the Niners twice by one score both times. You lose to the Rams once when you get hurt, once basically by one score. Russ probably flips it that way to say, hey, we're right 
were right there. That's what I that that would be my guess, which again is good news. But obviously, I'm not Russ. I can't right. guarantee that. The the argument that I feel like I keep coming back to is I just don't see the team. <clears throat> and we've talked about we've fought so much about the Broncos or whatever, <laughs> but like a team that has anybody who can possibly compare the line aside because there obviously needs to be continued probably work for the line, but Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and the Broncos do not have that wide receiver core. The saints don't have that wide receiver core. The giants have the capital. And it's like, that'd be a lot of faith in Kadarius Tony or whatever. But like, I don't see the team out there that has the combination of the capital to go trade for Russell Wilson, because it still would take an immense amount of capital and the roster that Russell Wilson wants to go play for where it's like, even the saints i know that the saints probably with russell wilson would be a super bowl contender but like there's there's uncertainty around sean payton that we heard about today i'm just like i don't see around the league the team that is the perfect scenario and i think that's what russ he needs the brady thing he needs to be able to go to tampa bay to bring gronk back to have chris godwin to have mike evans to be like let's fucking go we are in i'm going from a team that is devoid of talent to a team that is a super bowl caliber team and I just don't see that team around the league right now. Yeah, and I think the Steelers are actually probably have the would be the best one, maybe. I don't know their cap situation. It can't be great. Um, the Big Ben probably has to retire in a certain way, uh, at a certain time to fix some of their cap stuff. But yeah, I think the problem is, oh, man, okay, I'm about to compare Russell Wilson to uh, Antonio Brown, but not in the way that <laughs> you would think. The, they remind me of people who... So uh, the, the Antonio Brown story at the Jets game, from Antonio's view, is that he uh, he was pissed. Um, he oh no, he couldn't play. He's like, I'm hurt. I can't play. Bruce is like, We'll get your ass in there. And AB's like, No, man, I'm hurt. I told you this. And then Bruce is like, All right, get out. Does the throat slash kicks him out of the game. All right, that's AB's version. Bruce's version, and I think Lashawn McCoy's uh, version as well on the I Am Athlete podcast is like, Nah, AB was mad. He's not getting these targets because he's got incentives in his contract. He has to get to whatever the, the benchmarks were to get some, get some more bread. And then when the coach is asking to go back in the game, he's like, no, for that reason, not necessarily anything to do with his ankle. And then Bruce kicks him out and points and actually doesn't do a throat slash. The latter sounds more believable, but that's not the point. The point is, A.B., I'm very certain, believes that his version of the story. Like, he doesn't think he's lying. That makes sense. Like, he thinks that, yeah, he's, he's in his mind, throat slash, all that, right? Um and Russ is reminding me of someone very similar. And it's like, if he can see something his way. And even if that's not how it really happens, like, no, that's like, I believe this and not even think you're lying, you know? And it's, um, and I'm not trying to call Russ a liar in that way, but like the way he sees things feels like so different than the rest of us sometimes. Like it really, really, really does. And sometimes that works in his benefit, right? For him to be that optimist or whatever. Um, but like even coming back from the injury, like, all right, doc says, hey, six to eight weeks. All right, three to four it is. No, six to eight. I'm the professional here. No, 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 you know, three to four. You know, it's like, that's weird, you know? And then he comes back and plays poorly and it looks even more weird. It's like, God, there's a reason that the doc told you that timeline, uh, right? Like anybody else, you come back from that and you just seem like you're just seeing things wrong. It's like in Friday Night Lights when the doc is like, hey, you, your, your knee is screwed. And Booby Miles like, well, can I play? And then he plays and blows it again. It's like, well, yeah, the dude told you not to play. Uh, so I think that's a long-winded way of saying that, yes, you are right. If you look around the NFL, and I think Aaron Rodgers has to do this same calculus, it's like, I'm not in a better spot anywhere. 
for the for the most part. Um, the Saints would be interesting from Russ's view, but if Sean Payton's not there, then what's the attraction? But it's like that makes sense to us. It makes sense to everyone listening. That could easily just not make sense to Russ. You know, he could just see that totally different. And I've, I've met actually multiple people who are like that, where it's like you just see things away and you, you don't even believe that you're tripping or that you're lying. Just like you just you just see it that way. And it's so strange. And they mean it genuinely. Like I don't think AB has like CTE. I do believe he's like a, an asshole, but I don't believe like that, like he's stupid. Like he's and then LaShawn McCoy even made that point too on the I Am Athlete. He's like, not, not dumb, you know? He just sees things a certain way. And it's, that's his reality. Russ's reality and Aaron Rodgers' reality might very well be wherever I go, we are a Super Bowl champ. You know, especially if they see themselves in the Brady, uh, you know, realm. Like, all right, where Brady went, they were a contender. Um, and it's it's so weird because that would be really dumb. But like, <laughs> I could easily see that brain working that way, just because his brain doesn't work like the rest of us. Doesn't work like the rest of ours. Uh, works. I do think John, one thing John Stockton has found 100 to 150 COVID <laughs> vaccine deaths. Yeah, that's another one. John does not believe he's lying about that. John believe <laughs> John Stockton believes 100 professional athletes are buried in some like ditch somewhere outside the Naismith Hall of Fame or something like that. Like he believes that, and that is so that is sick. It's, it's un, un, unreal. Aaron Rodgers the same way about some of the misinformation that he spreads about the virus. Like Kyrie Irving too is like believes that he is standing for the greater good based on facts that he has about not getting vaccinated. It's just so, you know, the vaccine has actually exposed a lot of people in, in this way. So I think you're right. It's There's nowhere he could go that's like immediately better. right? But that was the case last year too. He put the bears on there. Think about it that way. Put the bears on there. Like what are we what are we doing here? Like that the, the, to even the guy who put the Bears on the list clearly does not see things the way we see things. So I can't rule anything anything out. You know, even if it's to all of us sitting right here, it's illogical to think that he'll immediately walk into a better situation. But like it was illogical to think that the Bears were worth putting on that list that they gave to Schefter. Well. If Wilson does come to that conclusion, sort of you talked about at the beginning, that the reason this year didn't work out is because of the injury to me and I wasn't myself, then that kind of kicks the can down the road a little bit and puts that much more pressure on the 2022 season. So now we should probably talk about what might be different for the Seahawks in the 2022 season. That obviously starts with, we know they're going to have a new defensive coordinator after letting go of Ken Norton Jr. and also passing game coordinator Andre Curtis. Uh, so we've got reports of four candidates thus far. The original two reported by Adam Jude and Bob Condotto when they broke this news of Ken Norton's departure were uh, uh, the internal candidate, Clint Hurt, defensive line coach, and then Denver Broncos defensive coordinator and Ed Donatel. You reported last week that uh, they're interested in Chicago defensive coordinator Sean Desai, who was promoted to that role last season after spending the previous two years as their safety coach. And then Tom Pelissero of NFL Network reported they've requested to interview Cowboys defensive passing game coordinator slash secondary coach Joe Witt Jr., also apparently set to interview with the Ravens per Steve Weish of NFL Network. Notably, the, the common theme here is three of these four known candidates have experience working under Vic Fangio, most notably Donatel, who has been with Fangio across three teams since 2011, but Desai and Hurt were also part of his staffs during his four years as defensive coordinator in Chicago, 2015 to 18. And the number one question people reply to this with is, so why don't they just hire Vic Fangio? 
<laughs> no, that is a guy. No one's really asked me that. Yeah, I mean, that's a good. I put him on my list of like guys to con- consider because like, it would seem simpler to do that. I guess ego might matter there too, though. There's some guys. Um, I wouldn't be like this if I was a head coach and I got fired. Like I would go be a coordinator um, again. Um, like I would, I would be able to be humble. Like I think Bill O'Brien was an interesting one. Like he's like the OC at Bama. And like in theory, college OC is a huge step down, like from running the Texans, right? Like that's, that's yeah. you, go if you're just, you can destroy coach. the Texans from the inside. <laughs> <laughs> like he he uh he like he he really humbled himself to do that. And some guys don't want to do that, right? I think I had checked in with um I, think I checked in one of our Vikings guys. I was like, Do you think Zimmer would just go down and be a head coach or be a DC again, Mike Zimmer? He was like, nah, not really. Yeah, he just you know, head coach or bust now. And some guys are like that. I, um, I wouldn't be if I was in that position, I don't think. But that would probably be one reason like, to not check in with Fangio. Like, Fangio hasn't been rumored to be interviewing for any of these defensive coordinator jobs, it is, I don't think. So that would that would probably explain why you don't hire him. Has he has he been interviewed for any of these? He has not, but I have a specific Vic Fangio bold prediction to offer. Wow. An uncorrupted bold <laughs> prediction on the pod, which is that one of these teams that hires a first-year head coach offensive coordinator, if it's Eric Bieniemy, Brian Dable, uh by, uh, Byron Leftwich. If one of those teams, Vic Fangio ends up the defensive coordinator for, and he is the Wade Phillips to their Sean McVay, because I feel like he could have a lot more control over the defense with one of those offensive-minded head coaches than if he's walking in with Pete Carroll with his defensive background. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I could see that too. Kellen Moore probably yeah, if yep. he got if he got a gig. Like I could see all those guys doing that, and I think. What's interesting is all those guys have really explosive passing offenses. I mean, the, the Bucks are pretty balanced, um, but uh, that, that would be the left witch hire. But, like, I, th- I forget who was making this point. But I want to say it might have been Doug Farrar. Like, you get offensive coaches who hire defense, offensive minded head coaches who hire defensive coordinators whose calling card is the defense that gives them the most trouble. Yep. Well, and if you're a guy who has that passing offense, well, what, what trips you up? Well, these two high coverages with the safeties. And anybody who masters that, you're like, well, I want to hire you because you coach the off- you coach the defense that I don't want to play, uh, and that you know that, that that gives me the most fits. And whether that's the best strategy or not is whatever. But we've seen teams make mistakes all the time. They don't always hire the right guy. Um, that's why a lot of these guys end up getting canned. Uh, but I, yeah, I could I could see that for sure for that specific reason. I'm kind of outlining there because Vic has orchestrated the thing that now is like everyone's doing. Even Pete Carroll had to be like, fuck, I got to do these two high coverages now because like that's the way. To stop all these um, these spread these spread concepts, as one of the homies had hit me the other day, because um, so Jalen Ramsey basically got got lit up by Mike Evans. Um, he was like, "See, look, like this is how great Sherm was, because that really happened to him." And I was like, "Yeah, that's true." At the same time, we started debating Sherman Ramsey, and I was like, "At the same time, Ramsey plays in an era where these OCs are way better." I think. Like Sherm was playing where they, they, if you were the X receiver, you know, playing to the boundary, like a DK mold, you just were outside the numbers running nines and hitches, basically the TO or Randy Moss route tree. Now they're putting DKs in the slot. That is a way different bag. Like they couldn't, they couldn't run the the version, the cover three that they ran then with Sherm. Uh, They couldn't run that in today's game because they play the bills and Stefan Diggs would be lined up on, you know Walter Thurman or whatever and just go for 100 yards you know and he just he would avoid Sherman Brandon Brown or the whole game um which is kind of what Pete receivers like Jalen there was that play on Sunday where it was like they talked about about Jalen Ramsey switching sides just being like put me over there and then he did it was like right after that that he got lit up by Mike Evans but Sherman was always on that one side he's just like he's shutting down whomever you throw across from him 
or whatever. But right. Like well, and even Darrell Revis never really he Darrell moved, but if you notice, like when he moved, those guys were still on the outside. We was following Ocho or Randy or whatever. Now you're getting like a team's number one might be Michael Thomas or Devontae Adams and Stephon Diggs, and they're spending seventy percent of the time in a goddamn slot. So you having this big outside guy doesn't really matter. But I, this is relevant to Seattle's search because that that had to be the adaptation. Pete, you, if 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 Pete wasn't willing to adapt in that way, it was like we're just going to run this cover three like what the Raiders are doing with Gus um, and their defense stinks. Um, it's like if we were going to do that, you're going to get smoked. His coordinators are too smart. There's too many cover three beaters, and cover three beaters get you first downs. <laughs> they they really really do. Uh, so I I'm, I'm actually. One of my critiques of Pete over the years has been his stubbornness with a few things. One of them, two of them have clearly changed. It was um, that insistence on like running that version of like the cover three thing, um, his, the way he feels about the run game, uh, having to have corners with certain long arms. I was like, that's so silly. Like, so you're just not going to draft a guy who could cover his ass off because his arms are like 30 inches? That's dumb. Like, I, I, ideally, if they want him to be 32, fine. But if they're shorter and he can cover it, then draft him. And then he drafted Trey Brown and started DJ Reed on the outside. I'm like, my man, you getting there. And then he basically <laughs> changed his defense this year to be like, all right, we're getting cooked by jet sweeps. So now we're going 3-4. Uh, and then, all right, we can't just run cover three because these offenses are too smart and we don't have six, three corners and he kind of adjusted. So although I don't know anything about necessarily those individual candidates per se, and it's so hard to say who's doing what at some of these stops, you know, especially when you work for a defensive minded, you know, head coach, like what was Ed Donatel really doing? You know, I checked in with our Denver guys, like it's really complicated to assess that specifically since they don't get locker room access either. Uh, But I just think in general, it's Pete's defense regardless. And it and people keep pushing back when I say that. Like, Mike, every coach, it's always their scheme. They don't just let the guy create his own damn scheme. And I'm like, well, yes. But you got to remember that, like, I'm not pulling that thought out of my ass, right? Like, I don't necessarily have to assign it to a source or whatever. But, like, I didn't invent that thinking <laughs> that uh, it's Pete's defense regardless of who's a coordinator. And I'm not the only person who thinks that. There are people on the payroll or that used to be on the payroll that feel that same way, um, coaches and players. So, like, I'm not making that up, you know, that, like, it's Pete's scheme regardless or it's Pete's defense regardless. And that includes some stepping in and changing some things, you know, if he, if he feels like it. On both sides of the ball, but we're talking about defense. So, I don't – I think it's very similar to the conversation that Chris and I had a lot about the OC last year where it's like, all right, switch the guy out it's still Pete's philosophy, you know, you, maybe he'll go under center more. We ain't changing shit. And I, I think that kind of buried itself out. I think the defensive coordinator is going to be kind of similar. They ran a lot of too high stuff this last year. The new guy's going to come in, run some more of whatever Pete says to run. And the minute he doesn't want to do that, <laughs> he's, he's out the door, whoever it is. I don't think it matters. Would you read anything into if it's Clint Hurt, in the internal candidate as opposed to going outside the organization in terms of, you know, how much Pete Carroll is willing to adjust? Um, that's a good question. You know, the Shane, the Shane hire threw me off, but I guess his OC background is a little different. Um, Cause like, I don't even think he hired the first guy he had. Wasn't he like a holdover? The first right. OC, I think he has holdover from the previous staff. So he's, he's willing to like take a leap of faith on OCs, but hasn't so much on, 
defensive coordinators. Like the minute he got rid of Chris Richard and was like, oh, damn, Kenny's open? Kenny, come on back up. You know, like, um, so I would actually be surprised if it was anybody other than Clint or if Clint didn't get a significant promotion because I think Clint's already the assistant head coach. And that's one of those titles you give somebody. You see this a lot in college too. You make them like the associate head coach or whatever. So you can attach some more salary to them so they don't just boot for another job. Um, I think the Husky, did the Huskies do that with Jimmy Lake? Did they give him a bunch of titles so he wouldn't bounce or something like that? Yeah. So see that in the pros too. Um, I think if they don't hire Clint, I think they would have to make him a a coordinator of something like run. You're the run game coordinator now or something. Otherwise he, I mean, I don't know if Miami, his alma mater has a defensive coordinator yet. Um, But if they don't, I bet you he's probably still in the running uh, for that. But either way, you just don't want to lose a guy like Clint. And I I know Pete has to do that math in his head. You got to know guys love Clint. You know, he's got a good eye uh, for talent. Um, Guys really respect him. He's a no-nonsense type of coach. Somebody asked me about him the other day. And we were talking just briefly, but I sent them a 2018 story that Jason Jenks wrote about the time after the halftime of the Green Bay game. They were losing on Thursday Night Football, and Clint Hurt flipped a projector in the meeting room while he was cussing everybody out about how the defense was playing. And the defense ended up playing a lot better. They got some sacks on Aaron Rodgers and won the game. It's like, that's the type of coach Clint is. Like, that that galvanized those guys. They were like, even DBs or whoever, they was like, yo, we got to get our shit together because coach is hot. And I was just a D-line coach. So, like, and Pete knows that. Pete knows that's probably happened a million times or whatever. So, like, I think he's got to – he has to keep Clint. So, I think either Clint gets hired or Clint gets a promotion where he's, like, the run game coordinator, D-line coach, and the new guy comes in is a guy with a secondary background who's, like, the D.C., but he's really the passing game coordinator to replace Andre. That's kind of my prediction there. So who, I don't, who are those coaches has a secondary background? I think it's all of them other than Clint of those four, isn't it? Joe? I believe so. Yeah. 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 I think they all do. So that, that, that also leads to my theory as well. That like the plan is to keep Clint at some, at some level and f- find some guy to make it. So they stop giving up passing yards at a historical rate. <laughs> Yeah. could be like a co-DC type thing where it's like Clint co-DC defensive line secondary, but like the new person has the like ultimate say there's something. It was interesting though. We talked last week or whenever the Ken Norton fire was announced, we talked about how post Chris Richard, the Seahawks DVOA never ended up being as good under Ken Norton as it was under Chris Richard. And it's like the talent, you could see the talent over that time is just trending downward post Chris Richard into Ken Norton. And then we talked about the two, coaches who are sort of defensive minded head coaches who got promotions last off season. And it was Robert Sala and Brandon Staley. And you look at, I pulled up the 2020 defensive DVOA rankings. San Francisco is number six, LA Rams, number four. And then we have the 2021 defensive DVO rankings. San Francisco is number seven. The Rams are number five. And it's just like, I feel like ultimately when we look at these jobs, we put people want to tell the story of why something happens and that for some reason we want to take the individual players out of it to a certain extent. Like there's a story I saw today about Demeco Ryan's where it's like Demeco Ryan's figured out how to play defense without great corners. And it's like, what happened last year? Like what did did Robert (laughs) Sala do? And then Robert Sala went to the jets and for some reason couldn't figure out how to play great defense without great corners. And it's like these, these things exist because of the players on the field to it more than they exist 
because of the coaches who are coaching them. And I feel like we just have consistent evidence of that being the case. Like those two being the most obvious ones where those two coordinators took head coaching jobs. Both I think are solid head coaches. I'm sure Demeco Ryan, like I want Demeco Ryan's to get a head coaching job because of this 49ers defense. But in reality, the 49ers defense will probably be good no matter who's coaching them. And the Seahawks defense will probably be mediocre no matter who's coaching them. So if that's the case, why don't we go out and find the person who's going to get the team most excited? Keep keep Clint around if we need to. And who's going to make the players happy ultimately is kind of the way that I view it. It's like, I don't think that the defense is like, I'm excited about the idea of Sean Desai. It seems really interesting, but I don't think it matters under this Pete Carroll defense. Yeah, I, I lean there too. And I, my home shout out to DJ, um, homie DJ, who covers the Jets for the New York Daily News. We we have this discussion kind of often. It's like, yeah, the Jets D is bad. Right? Like the Chargers defense is bad <laughs> with with Brandon Staley. And so you know, Gus Bradley left, and he coached bad defenses. Uh, I think he had one good year of a Chargers defense. I think those Jags defenses were bad. Um, go ask some Falcons fans about the, the, the final years of them. Dan Quinn defenses, they were bad, right? Now d- the Dallas defense is, is figured it out. But I mean, look what they spent like what their first six picks Dallas did on defense. It was, it's like unreal. They're like, we need this defense, defense. They drafted like three corners <laughs> in one draft. It was kind of insane. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I really think we overlook, and this is what me and DJ point out all the time. You can't just overlook the impact of players. You just can't, like, especially on defense where depth matters so much and a lot of times you're only as good as your 11th guy you got that one guy who can't i mean look at the chiefs game uh, i forget what the corner who fell uh, over the week with mike hughes i want to say just yep. fourth and 13 they could have had the perfect play called which they probably did they i think they were just in like cover two or something just simple defense fourth and 13 my man gets face planted just on a double move and it boom now the game should have been over at, the, at that point. It's like you're only as good as your 11th guy. Like you need you need a lot of talent on defense. You need a lot of depth. Obviously, scheme matters, but I think people were really look, overlooking that. And that's why I tweeted out all the defensive players they've drafted from 2013 to 2019. I don't have time to read the whole list. <laughs> good Lord. It is bad. It is a bad, bad list. Like specifically – and you look at the last two years or the first two years that Ken was here. Look who they drafted on defense in 2018 and 2019. That is not how you build a championship caliber defense. Drafting dudes who don't start, like top 100 picks that don't start. Cody Barton's made like two starts at inside linebacker. I have no idea how good Cody actually is, but the point is he was like pick 88. Like you have, like by comparison, I think Shaq was pick 90, started from like day one. Pretty much, I think when Jay Jay Lane got hurt that year, Marquise what Blair was, was like the what logic pick? of the Cody Barton traffic. <laughs> I just don't. Und- Marquise Blair was what pick forty seven that oh year. It just that's a really high pick. To that's what that's twelve picks behind Malik McDowell, um, who yeah, was I, I believe the year the year before. Oh God. Uh, it, yeah, I just think and they don't have a, a second round pick in twenty eighteen because they took Malik McDowell. He broke his face, and they had to trade that pick to get Sheldon Richardson, who then bounced. So that's why there's a big gap between Rashad and Rasheem in that that 2018 draft. My point is, I'm with you in that you specifically have to draft really well on defense because you can't afford that many premium defenders you know, in the offseason. Like, you can kind of skimp on some tight ends and maybe grab some receivers like the Patriots just did. Like, they were to get Hunter, Janu, and Kendrick Bourne. They spend a little money, but, like, 
it's hard to flip that on defense. Like I think they're with their, they got a deal in like Judon and like Jalen Mills or something like that. That's what the Patriots got. You really can't. I feel like on offense, you can give me some dudes, like average dudes. And as long as my quarterback is like competent, I can scheme up a top 15 offense. I, I genuinely believe that uh, for, for the most part. And we're seeing it with some of these quarterbacks. Like look at the, look at the Jimmy G ran offense is like, uh, it's crazy. Uh, so I think, but on defense though, you give me bad players, they're going to be bad. There is, you're not scheming around bad defenders, like all around. I think Ken Norton did actually a good job scheming around some bad players early. Like they were able to have a pretty competent defense. Some of those snaps with bless Austin, John Reed, um, when Sidney Jones was playing poorly, which he was at first, um, you know, even even Trey Flowers in some instances, like he was able to scheme around some bad players, but like you can't you can only do that but so much. And as soon as you lose one of the good players you got, you're really you're really screwed there. I go back to it's my last thing on this. I go back to like Ken got hired January 2018. Look, who who did he think was going to be on the roster at that point? And I mean that seriously, because like we didn't know the severity of Cliff Abel's injury at that time. We didn't know the severity of Cam's injury at that time. Michael Bennett was still on the roster. Sherm was still on the roster. Earl had just went to the Cowboys locker room, but he was still <laughs> on the roster. And like that's a, a lot different than go check the week one game against Denver. They were starting Shaquem Griffin instead of KJ, Trey Flowers and Shaq out there. That's Trey's first start. Like that looked a lot different nine months later. I am genuinely curious on what Ken thought he'd be working with. Cause it was vastly different. Like it was a whole new uh, defense out there. And it looked like they were like legitimately bad uh, until, you know, he finally got fired. All right. Let's look ahead to uh, the, some of the players and their chances of coming back this year. We did this exercise. I mean, I guess I should start. We did this exercise a few weeks ago with Ben Baldwin, uh, your colleague at the athletic. And we did percentage chances of Pete Carroll and John Schneider returning. Are those just a hundred by this point? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I asked people if they thought on, I asked this on Twitter. Like, do you guys think um, the last two games changed whether you wanted you know major uh, major change in the front office? And a lot a lot of people said no, but I got a lot of yeses. And I think that Jody Allen, if I was to ask her, probably falls in one of those yeses. Um, now it may not just be the first two weeks. She could have decided this like after Russ broke his fingers. Like, all right, the whole year is a mulligan. We just lost Russ. Like she could have she could have thought that from the, from the get go. Uh, but yeah, I, I think they're both back. I mean, I wrote that before the whole meeting saga that I never kind of dove into because, like, I remember writing on like Monday night that they're they're back, and then like it was like, oh, they might meet. It's like he's not gonna get fired on Thursday. It's just not, guys. I wouldn't have. It's one of those things where I didn't have to attribute it to sources, but like I don't pull things out of my ass in that way. So it's pretty confident they'd be back. I'm surprised by that. I really am. This did not look like a team ready to compete. Um, and I think it's not a one-to-one comparison, but like now look at those. What do those two last two games really mean? Like they smoked the Lions and then smoked the team that got smoked by the Lions. You know, and that you know, and the Cardinals ended up looking like a team that got smoked by the Lions in the playoffs. So and that's a team that two weeks before beating the Cardinals lost to, you know, the Bears. And I think there's like it just I don't know, it just hits different for me because I was at the Bears loss. We don't mention that Bears game. It snowed. We just, we, we totally forgot about it. That is such a, even the game before that too, like the Rams game, like 
I don't think you can be a contender if there's a team in your division that you can't beat. Like, that's just kind of <laughs> just like bare minimum standard there. Like, you're not going to win a championship. You got a team you play twice a year that you can't beat. That you're probably going to have to beat a third time to get to, to the Super Bowl. But yeah, I think Jody gave those guys the benefit of the doubt. Um, I think what ended up being reported by Mike Garofalo, whenever that was, November, early December, that she's not looking at the season as like a as a one-off and he reported that like she's mm-hmm. taking it all in the context well that's not true i think she's looking at this as a one-off because if she's if she's not she would have fired everybody i don't um, know could or be at least looking at the size of the, the, the buyouts uh, you know i thought about that too i checked in with some people on that like man vulcan ain't hurting they'll be they'll, they'll, they'll they'd be fine mm-hmm. and and i also think i don't know about this i asked someone but they didn't have a strong answer is there could be offset language in there if they were to get hired um elsewhere which i i'm very confident pete would if he wanted to keep coaching that he would get hired pretty fast probably to be another head coach again uh, honestly i could see like the giants doing it wanting a big name you know out there just to to, to hire him or something like that uh, or jacksonville or whatever so that could be a thing too because i think if you yeah you fire pete what do you owe him like 50 million 48 million or something like that over four years like that's a lot of money but if that's offset by something him getting hired by someone else who knows but yeah, I, I'm, I am surprised that she, that what Garofolo basically reported was wrong, essentially. Uh, not to say he got bad info, but that just turned out to not be true. She's basically looking at this as a one-off, giving them the benefit of the doubt, um, and basically signing up for the status quo, which just, that seems like, that just seems like such a bad idea. I do radio hits down in Portland sometimes with the homie AJ McCord. And I bring up the parallels down there with the Blazers. Like, how could you possibly? I just couldn't have signed up for that this last offseason. If I was Jody, to be like, let's run it back. CJ, Dame, I know she ditched Terry Stotts, but I was like, Chauncey's not about to come in here and change everything unless you give him a new roster. And she didn't. And, you know, look at what happened. So, yeah, I'm very surprised that she would make that kind of same mistake with the Seahawks. I am calling it a mistake early that I just don't think that this big three gets that done i mean we could spend all day on the drafting part of it but yeah jody's basically signing up for the status quo and that's that's a shock that's we'll probably be right back here in january 2023 (laughs) talking about how how much of a mistake that probably was some of us still believe in the blazers also (laughs) anthony simon's on fire lately six and three in their last nine games i need them to play cj ellaby man that's what What? I i need more burn from him um I, I do. I don't know if I don't know how good he's been there yet, but yeah, go Kooks, South Seattle, South Seattle guy. I saw him. Sorry, side note, real quick. I went to. I took my homie. Oh, I took Theo. Uh, uh, my homie Theo. Uh, that used to cover the Kooks, now covers the Zags. We went to a Cleveland versus Franklin High School basketball game uh, when CJ senior year. Actually, it was a bunch of us, but CJ had committed, and I wanted to check him out live. So I went and he hit the, he banked a game winning three or something like that. I was so hype. Yeah, it was so, I mean, he, he plays for Cleveland. I went to Franklin. So I was like, it was, it was bittersweet, but I was like, man, wow, who's going to get this guy? This is great. Um, And he was great. So I'm like, really, I really root for CJ. Now, besides him just being from South Seattle and, and, you know, going to my alma mater, uh, uh, Washington state, just like, just that always have that memory in my head. You know, it's like, seeing that underground artist before like five years later they headline the super bowl or something it's like you know that's you just you have a different attachment so that's kind of where i am with ellaby so if the blazers want to win a championship more cj ellaby cleveland's <laughs> our grandfather's alma mater so we got we got family connection there too okay okay russell wilson chances of returning in 2022 
Oh, that's a good one. Percent? Was it going one out of out of a hundred? Yep. Uh, I I I'd put it pretty high uh, at this point. I'd probably put it in the eighties, probably eighty five or something like that. I think the only thing that that fifteen percent is left for um, potential of. Um, Cause I think we wrote this in the story too. I think he talked. Uh, Russ talked to the Seahawks after the Super Bowl last year that he was pissed at, I, and I believe the convo just didn't go well. I can't remember what they talked about, but it went bad enough that like he went like nuclear <laughs> after that and said how frustrated he was, and they ended up leaking the trades, the trade destinations. Unless something like that happens again, where it's like you know he goes to Mexico on vacation or something, comes back, calls Pete and John, and says, "Hey, all right, so Dwayne's a free agent." B shell is posic. What are we gonna do? What's the plan? And they just say, "Hey man, fuck off. We got this." Well, then it's like, all right, okay. Well, damn, Patrick, let's run it back or something like that. Now, if that happens again, then that there's that fifteen percent that could just get to the point where they just get tired of dealing with that. Which I mean, that would be petty, but like this is still a you know a business of people. At the end of the day, it feels like Brian Flores just got fired because he's bad at the people part of the job you know like if you really if you just analyze the on-field stuff it's probably fine like the people part seems to be reportedly what got him and i don't know if the seahawks would get to that point but if they have another offseason like last year i mean god damn man i wouldn't blame them man it's just so hard when your your quarterback's one foot out the door you know for seemingly no reason like you guys remember like carlos dunlap said he had to like call russ like hey are you gonna be back oh you are okay cool I'm signing again, you know, and like Chris Carson admitted that he need like Russ convinced him to come back kind of, um, you know, like you shouldn't have to deal with that. Your free agents shouldn't have to call your quarterback. Like, Hey, are you a quarterback still? No, like imagine all the guys that like, they probably couldn't recruit because of that. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily know if that happened, but the fact that it's even possible is kind of, is ridiculous. It has to be annoying to kind of deal with, especially when you deal with it openly. It's one thing if Pete comes in Russ's office and just gets to bitching and then leaves. And it's like, all right, well, no one knows you just did that. Now everyone knows, like I could get tired of dealing with that. But I think that's a small percent. Maybe it's like maybe like closer to like 89% that Russ is back. I, I put it pretty high barring the scenario I just kind of just outlined. You're, you're creeping up towards Tristan's 99%. I was at 75 and Ben at 70. Uh, Bobby Wagner. I don't think that 70 is looking great, but go on. Bobby. Man, this Bobby one is so tough. This is so, Ken Norton leaving. I don't know what that does to that. And I know the reason I'm, I'll probably go like, okay, is it every time? Does it matter what contract he comes back on? We're just saying he's back no, regardless. Just on the roster. Okay. I, okay. Okay. Then I, I'll go. I think I'll go like 80 wow. on that. I, I don't know about the contract though, just because that is, that is tough. That is tough to eat, man. It's like $20 million cap hit. That is tough. That is tough. Um, I could see a, a restructure there uh, easily. And I hope that, I mean, I hope Bobby gets his money. But if they if it ultimately comes down to, do we got to restructure you or you got to go, that that Bobby can, like, talk to some of his uh, former teammates who have had to hit that, like, free agent, you know, like, talk to Sherm, talk to KJ, you know, even talk to Jay Reed if you want. Um, talk to those guys about what it was like when they tried to find another team that wasn't the Seahawks. Talk to Mike B. Mike B got traded like what two more times after that? Like, which just became a journeyman before he was out of the league. Um, so, like, I, I hope that if that comes to that, Bobby calls them. Like, hey, is the grass greener? And they're like, hell no, restructure and stay. If it if it comes to that, um, but 
Yeah, I don't. Th- I think if you ask me if he's back on that deal, oh, I'd say like like two percent. That <laughs> seems like a very, very low chance that they're like, yeah, we'll do this twenty million dollar thing because they don't have that much cap space. Yeah. You know, I, I forget what it's at now, but it's around the same number in twenty twenty. And if you guys remember that offseason, their biggest free agent signing that year was Greg Olson. You know, the year they had like fifty million dollars, something like that. So yeah, I, I think I think Bobby's back, but I don't think it would be that that same deal. You're, you're more optimistic than we were. I was highest at 45%. Tristan at the end of the other extreme at 10%. Oh, wow. Why do you think they'll cut Bobby? What's the logic on that one? It's just the money. Or I trade. Mean, I guess they could trade him too. I, I feel like players have so much pride. You know, there was that press conference where they were like, basically like, are you willing to restructure? And he's like, I don't know about that. Like, I feel like there's something about like coming back. And what you mentioned about all those players, like I seen what happened at KJ last year. I don't know if there's a number that the Seahawks would have brought KJ back at, but like it wasn't the, the linebacker market, I think is pretty slim pickings for an eight, like an older linebacker. So it really comes down to is Bobby willing to take a pay cut with the Seahawks or is he willing to just like go somewhere else because it's a different team, which is kind of a fascinating question, but I feel like it's almost easier to take a pay cut elsewhere than yeah. it is here. It feels more offensive when it's the team that you've played for for 10 years and been yeah, so he's great. like, I've given you all of these amazing seasons. I've given you a Super Bowl, all these Pro Bowls, all pro seasons, and you're re- you're rewarding me with this. If it's somebody else, it's like, I'm starting anew here. Yeah, I think the thing about the pay cut that he said uh, in the press conference, I think when you put it in the context that he preceded that, with my question before that saying I'm a good businessman, yep. or maybe that wasn't my question, but he said he was a good businessman. It's like, yeah, a smart businessman will realize you destroy your <laughs> leverage if you say, oh, yeah, I'll take yep. a pay cut. Like, that's ridiculous. Right? You can't say that because what's what's the first thing John Snyder is going to do in your exit interview? Yes. He's like, all right, man, well, we're ripping up your deal. <laughs> and he's like, well, hold on. So I do think that he probably doesn't want to take a pay cut. I wouldn't either. He'd do like $16 million in cash or something like that. Give me my money. But I, I – he is a good businessman and he is smart and knowing how smart and calculated Bobby is like, uh, I would, like I said, if it's do or die, I could see him taking the deal. It's really humbling, but he has, he has what the other guys didn't have is examples of people leaving and it just, the grass just, just being dry and brown as hell. Even though KJ made the, made the, made the uh, playoffs, you know, this year, like he just, it's, that's just never really worked for anyone here. I mean, if Jay Reed wins a Super Bowl, I mean, I guess it worked for him. Uh, but what did he, you know, what did he get money wise on that, on that KC deal? Nothing. He played basically had to prove himself again. And Bobby's, Bobby can't prove himself at thirty three or thirty two or whatever. So, um, yeah, that's. I could see him doing this calculus. Like remember, I said Russ's brain's hard to read. Bobby's is not as hard. Cause he's so smart and so rational and so measured and so calculated that it's, it's, it's a lot easier to predict that he'll do the, the rational thing. If that's what it comes to. And next up DJ Reed. Ooh, the one I was just researching today, man, corners make a lot of money. Jesus. <laughs> Ronald Darby got $30 million last year. Um, it's on a three-year deal, but like, wow. And that was basically after like one good year in Washington. Um, I think that he's back. I would put that at about, I'm not super confident about that though. I want to say like 65, 68, maybe I'll, I'll go. Yeah, I'll go 65 just because uh, I, I, I put it over 50 just because the cornerback, there's some good corners coming out of this free agent class. Whereas like Shaq, 
I didn't think he'd be back because he was at the top of that class. It was basically him and um, William Jackson, I want to say. Yeah, him and William Jackson got the highest deals. And that's not like a star-studded class, whereas this class might have J.C. Jackson, if he doesn't get tagged, um, Carlton Davis of the Bucks, if he doesn't get tagged, Stephon Gilmore. Um, there's a whole list I just had in front of me. But, yeah, there's just a, there's a, there's some guys that, that could get paid here. I'm missing one. Um the money could get pretty crazy. Like Jair Alexander could get an extension. Uh, Denzel Ward of the Browns could get an extension. Like the money could get pretty crazy there. And guys could just get the top of the market uh, could fill up there where I think. And there's a good like second tier too of like Dante Jackson. Um, the guy from the Chiefs, Ward. I think he's a free agent. Nelson something. Steven Nelson maybe. I forget where he plays. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some guys out there that are gonna like that tier that that DJ's in that might get scooped up and get overpaid there. Um, so I think there's a that's why I put it over fifty that he'll be back. But because there are there's such a demand for guys who can cover. I mean, look at that Chiefs Bills game. As fun as that was, that was hundred percent teach tape on how to not play corner and DB in the league. That game was just unbelievably bad defense for about the final. Uh, whatever fourth quarter in overtime and that just really highlighted like you got to have guys who can cover and you're willing to overpay overpay to do it so um i think he'll, i do think he'll be back um, but if there's like any type of bidding war like i bet you, i bet you the number that the seahawks put on that is like nine and a half annual salary nine and a half million that sounds about right for, for dj if ronald darby's getting 10 last year uh and if any team wants to go over that which a team i could see Going over that, man, that's that. That's where that other thirty-five percent of uncertainty comes from. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. That's where Tristan had him. I, I was a little higher at seventy-five, but Sam Ballpark, uh, Dwayne Brown. Okay, I feel good about this one. I do actually. I'm. I'll put this one at like. I want to say like eighty-eight. I actually feel really good about this one. If Russ is here too, I think Russell vouch here. And this will be one of those things that avoids. And I mentioned they could call him and be like, hey, what's the plan? I'll screw off. If you tell him, hey, the plan is to bring Dwayne Brown back. Okay, cool. Like, like I'm I'm with that. The left tackle market is not great. I, th- I think the best one on there might be the dude from the Jags. He's kind of young. Cam Robinson, maybe like 25, 26 or something. Uh, there's just not a lot like if you're if you're every, and every team needs tackles too. it ain't like, you know, you're the only team searching for pass protection like all, every GM. How many GM jobs are open now? Like five. All of them are going to be like, how are we going to address the old line? Very few GMs out there. You're like, oh, our line's great. No, um, the Bengals might spend one hundred million dollars this offseason on offensive linemen, um, <laughs> especially if Joe Burrow dies uh, in, in the playoffs because of his pass protection. So, yeah, I, I think. Dwayne won't have that much of a market um, because of his age, injury history, whatever. He'll have Ra- Russ's voucher there. The Seahawks are going to be kind of desperate because um, they, I don't know if they can just hand the keys to Stone uh, Forsyth there. Because then you still have to draft someone um, because Pete believes in competition. He won't just go in there with like, all right, Stone's job to lose or whatever. Um, the reason I don't have it a little higher, though, is because, and there is a world where Pete's like, all right, We'll just re-sign Jamarco and go in there with Jamarco and Stone and then maybe draft another guy or try to like bring back Cedric Abui or something. Like I could easily see him doing that. And instead of spending like 10 mil or whatever on Dwayne, he spends six on those three guys 
and lets them duke it out. That's a very, very, very Pete Carroll, John Schneider move. While the rest of the world screams, go pay for linemen. They're <laughs> yes. like, no, we're going to go to the dollar store and get the same products that we could get at, at, a, at a lower rate. But I think that Dwayne's willingness, speaking of press conference revelations, Dwayne's willingness to be like, hey, man, I'm old. I'm about to take a one-year deal. I played bad for like two months. Like that's that's part of it. Um, he's not like Andrew Whitworth in that way. So I think that Dwayne being a smart guy there, perhaps not wanting to start over in a new situation, um, could could factor in there. The only thing that's kind of tricky is Dwayne's held out during regular seasons. He's held out during training camp. Dwayne don't get the money he wants. That boy just don't show up to work. So like. He's shown that stronger than anybody. He lasted longer than Cam's holdout, longer than Melvin Gordon's. I think like Dwayne when he don't get when he don't get paid, he'll he'll be like All right, I don't need this shit. Um, so when you go, when you're dealing with a guy like that, you never really know what's gonna happen. We were all in the sixties on that one, so you're you're I'll lower high. on that one. Yeah, uh, Rashad Penny. Uh man, this is a this is a tough one. I think. I'm lower on this. I'm, I am. I, I'm, I'm probably in like the 40s. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I, it's, it's tough because maybe I'm in the 40s seeing it from my angle. Maybe I should, I guess if I'm seeing it from Pete's angle, I'd have to be higher. Because I know last year he was higher on Chris Carson. He was like, I got to get Chris back. Like that was the thing. He really needed to get Chris back. He's probably willing to pay whatever to get Chris back. Um, the problem is Rashad is not a, he's not a pinch hitter. He is not a relief pitcher, whatever. I don't know why I'm using baseball analogies, but he's just not that guy. He, the last month should not be, the takeaway should not be, oh yeah, we'll do this one, two punch with Chris and Rashad. It's like, no, Rashad's not the two. If Rashad's not the one, this thing does not get cracking. You know, but it's like, how can you think that he can be the one if you got Chris Carson making it's like cap hits like 6.4 million or something like that. Um, actually, no, I'll flip this because I could see Pete totally seeing the wrong lesson here. I don't believe in his <laughs> personal. I'm going to, I'm going to flip. Cause in my view, I've said this on our podcast a lot. I'm just going to draft the next guy from Wisconsin, Bama or Ohio state. I would never pay any running back. doesn't matter who it is. Um, sometimes that would work out. In my favor, like pretty much every running back, sometimes they'd be like, oh, wow, Mike didn't pay Derrick Henry. That's stupid. Um, but like I wouldn't pay anybody. So if it was me, it'd be like, nah, thanks for the love. You can walk. I could see Pete, his lesson from that being, all right, we got the one-two punch that we need. Kind of looking back to remember that 2019 run there where like Rashad had like a, what, 100 yards against the Eagles or something like that. And had a couple big runs against the Vikings the next week and looked like he was cooking. And Chris played in those games too. Um, and then I think Rashad blew his knee out. I'm like, see, that's what we need. Let's just do that again. I, actually, I'll put this high. I'll put this probably like at like 85 as well. Actually, I'm gonna flip it. Ever flip it? I just I had to I had to get irrational again because Pete's just <laughs> Pete learns. You guys know Pete learns the wrong lessons from things. A thing <laughs> oh, happens. And he, I forget what game it was, and he brought it up like, yeah, look how many completions and run attempts we had combined. It was like the Cardinals game or the Texans game. I think that's what it was. It was like, yeah, that's winning football. It combined for like 52 or something like that. I was like, well, that's stupid. That's not the lesson you should have taken from that game. 
at all, sir. And, you know, so I could see the lesson being that we need to have Rashad. Let's bring Chris back. Let's do this one-two punch. And then Penny's relegated to, like, getting four carries for 12 yards again. Um, while, you know, because Chris is eating up the load and stuff like that. Like, I, I could see that that's actually probably what's going to happen. But I will say this about Rashad's market. I really don't think it's as crazy as people are going to think. Right. I read a lot of stuff people were locally thinking that this guy was going to, like, break the bank like Aaron Jones did last year, get, like, $12 million a year or whatever. Nah, man. Look at what happens when running backs switch teams. They never get paid. Never really. Cream Hunt uh, got, like, a decent deal. Melvin Gordon got, like, $8 million a year. That's it. You know, te- guys switching teams do not cash in. The guys who cash in are the guys who cash in with their own teams. Uh, and I don't even see that happening there because Chris Carson only got five and a half mil after having a couple thousand yard seasons under his belt. You know, Rashad had a good month, but is that worth, you know, uh, getting over Chris's salary? So, yeah, I th- I'll put it a lot higher, uh, though I think that that has a lot of potential to just not work out in the way that Pete envisions that working out. I mean, that leads to our next question, which is Chris Carson. Oh, I didn't know we'd do Chris. Uh, ooh. Okay. Well, since I'm confident Rashad coming back, actually, that that lowers the – Right. That I might I might have that at like 50. I'm actually willing to maybe go lower on that. That's pretty – man, neck injuries are just so – I'm so scared of neck injuries. Neck and back injuries in particular. Like if you're back – if you're a guy with bad back – I got a bad neck. I'm usually scared of you playing football again. Just kind of risky. I, I, I'll probably go 50. I, and that's like the, on the safe end. That's just a lot of money for a guy who's what? How many years is Chris? End of the year on IR? Three? Three out of five years? That's that's a lot. Broke his leg. Uh, broke his hip. Neck surgery. That's just a lot to 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 believe in at that at that price. And we've seen what they how they value running backs too. Remember they they offered like three guys the same contract. It was I think Devontae Freeman, Carlos Hyde. It was like one year, two and a half mil or something. Like they offered everyone the same deal. Like they don't value the number two back that much. Yep. So like if they do give Rashad like four million bucks or five, I don't see them paying two guys at that price. So if Rashad's back, if Rashad's not back, then that, that number goes a little higher. But if Rashad's back, that's fifty or lower. I'm probably potentially much lower, honestly. Yeah, I'm, I added him up to 100. And I, so therefore, I had, I, I think Penny is very likely back and had Carson very at 5% to come back. Yeah, see, yeah, I could see, yeah, if you have Penny back, having Chris back at that number just doesn't. Yep. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. For, if Rashad's back, yeah, it might be like five or 10 on Chris, but I just don't know. That's so, that's so tough. All right, Al Woods. Oh, I think I think that might be like ninety. I feel I feel good about I feel good about him coming back, um, especially if they keep Clint. I I could see that uh, as well. Like I I can't. I may I should do, I should do a story on this. Guys really like Clint, man. He just he just he 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 gets he he believes in guys. He really does. Um, even if it doesn't sound like like he's and he's just straightforward too. I remember one time. Uh, he said this to me on the record too. I never ran it. He's just such a straight shooter. He said, uh, "I said, what does LJ got to do to get get in the lineup?" As you guys, and he was act, he was inactive for so long, and this was in like week six or something like that. He's like, "Well, can he play corner?" <laughs> and, and it was just so funny. Uh, he was joking, obviously, but it's like that's that, that that's Clint. You know, he's just straight shooter, man. It's like 
funny funny dude believes in guys but yeah i, th- I think they they just know they need al was just so important man and you can see that being one of those guys like they also prioritize because he just no one loves a run stuffing defensive tackle like the seahawks front office boy oh man <laughs> if you can stop the run they might pay you a million dollars i just do, also don't think al will have much of a market i don't think yeah. if he hits the market uh, a lot of teams will be after him i think he signed with jacksonville that last time I could see him not doing that again. Um, Cause no one wants to sign with Jacksonville <laughs> anymore. See, I'm pretty confident in big Al coming back, especially if they keep Clint. Uh, Gerald Everett. Ooh, I'm a little lower on this. I'm curious to see where you guys are at on this. I'm probably like 45, 40. I go 40. And That's- yeah, that's precisely where I ended up. Tristan was at 35 and Ben was much lower. Oh, okay. He was at 10%. So so the, the re- this one is the one of the only one of the few players. Um, DJ could fall in this category too because DJ liked Andre Curtis, who they fired. Um, so that could – guys spend a lot of time with their position coaches. I think that goes overlooked in the NFL and in college too. Like these guys spend so much time with their position coach more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, you listen to Rashad talk about Chad Morton, right? Like that's – they love their position coach a lot. Um, those guys believe in them. Anyway, um, so I think that with Gerald, I don't know, would he want to be back? That's why I brought up DJ too. It's like, why for what? <laughs> you know, like to be I I mean, he was like their number one pass catching tight end, but like there's just there's a lot more options for pass catching tight ends around the league. Like Gerald's skill set of being able to block um being good with the ball in his hands like there's and, and with so many more coaches doing mcveigh things around the league mcveigh shanahan-ish type things not like shane's the only guy who would know how to use him now shane has the position the benefit of like i just mentioned he was gerald's tight end coach you know coming out of a uh, college he was uh, at Gerald's rookie year so he has that but like he's the one of the good probably the first guy we mentioned that i consider like why would he even want to come back to this situation it just didn't seem like it was anything like it pan- like he thought when he signed here initially yeah there's more targets elsewhere all right the last yeah. player on our list is carlos dunlap oh man Whew. oh that's uh oh that that kind of goes back to the uh behind the scenes thing it wasn't carlos it was somewhere close to carlos who was a- after uh i had written about him that how much he's not playing and how much that's like, obviously a coaching era. They was like, yeah, thank you, thank you for writing that, thank you for tweeting it. Um, so, uh, this this this. So I got it. If they run the same scheme, this bare front as the base three four. This is at like five percent, <laughs> and I'm willing to go lower if they run the same scheme. Because as you guys saw, that scheme just did not help Carlos. He's out here jamming slot receivers on second down. Just just. The, the most awful shit uh, for Carl and Benson Mayoa. I don't know if you guys are curious about him. Too. I don't think he would want to come back to be out here playing strong side linebacker, guard Najee Harris on the goal line. So same scheme, 5%. Like that's just, there's just no reason for Carlos to want that, to be dropping into coverage, um, being basically like a Sam backer. Like you go talk to guys in Cincinnati, that's kind of what they had him doing when they switched coaches too. And that's when Carlos was out here tweeting the depth chart and his place on it, on it, or he posted it on Instagram, I think. This is when he's like posted that he's selling his house and he had those problems with Cincinnati before they traded him. Like it got ugly there. Um, and that was kind of one of the things he wasn't playing. 
and he wasn't playing. They changed the scheme, and it didn't didn't suit him. So I have no reason to think that he should that he that it benefits him to sign up to play in that again. Like he still has never won a playoff game. I don't think. <laughs> Meanwhile, his old team <laughs> could play in the damn Super Bowl uh, after he leaves. That's kind of shitty too. Uh, see, I'm I'm real low. On that, and I also didn't know. It's not like part of his free agency thing, but like uh, condolences to Carlos and his family. Man, his dad um, yeah, died, yeah. got hit by a car. Tragic. Very sad. Very sad. Very sad. I had a, I had my, uh, I had a cousin who got killed getting hit by a car uh, walking to work in 2017, and like that's a specific family death that I like empathize with. Um, all of them, all family deaths are bad, obviously, but. That one in particular, reading that just gutted me in a different way. I have my—I don't know if you guys can see. I have like my cousin's face tattooed on my arm. Um, you know that that guy hit like that hurt a lot. So I got condolences to Carlos in the Dunlap family. Man, that that sucks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, the last thing we wanted to ask you is so you know to go back to the conversation about Pete and John. You've been kind of lower, I think, on the idea of bringing everyone back than than a lot of people. Uh, if assuming that things do continue as they are, Russell Wilson's still the quarterback, a kind of average off season and draft. What do you expect from the Seahawks record wise in 2022 without any major change above and beyond the defensive coordinator? Um, there's a lot of uncertainty about some of the teams are going to play. I think they got a few that don't even have coaches yet. Raiders, a couple others. Uh, I think some teams are going to have new quarterbacks, so it makes it a little tougher. But I'd probably like ball. I'd say nine and eight, probably. That's probably where the betting market will be. I, I guess watch their over under be like eight and a half. This you know, in August or something like that. Just because they just really, man. I just think it's really dangerous to live by the let's win in the fourth quarter thing. And the last few years have really bared that out. Like in 2019, they did it. In 2020, they did it too. But it's like when that doesn't work, like. You, it's so hard. You know, they're like the, almost the opposite of the Bills this last year. I think the Bills lost. Or the Bills won all of their games by double digits, yep. uh, I'm pretty sure. Or something like that. Weird, weird, funky stat there. Oh, but actually, they kind of like the Bills. I think the Bills lost all of their one possession games, including their playoffs. Well, the difference I, I is they, they won all the non-close games. Yeah, and that's and that's just – that's your better – like, if you're going to choose – like, you need to start kicking people's ass, you know? Like, if you're going to uh, – if you're going to play that this style of football Pete has, I just have so many critiques about the front. The, the reason why I'm so low on them, and it's, I hope the, these guys don't take it personal. They, I think they know. John doesn't know me that well, but I think Pete has a good feel. They are bad at the personnel side of this, and there's no really way to slice that. Since 2013, they've basically just been trading picks to make up for the bad ones that they've made. That's basically what they've been doing for years now, and that's wholly unsustainable as they are learning <laughs> you can't just keep trading for jamals and quandres and carlos's and dwayne's and clownies and giving away you know these lottery tickets that you could use to hit on you know more cost-controlled contracts it's like that's just you just can't do that eventually it'll come back to bite you um, and you'll have a bunch of undrafted free agents behind your high price guys who aren't ready to play so i i, I really don't believe in that i don't believe in them fixing that um that problem it just it's so hard it's so hard to build a championship caliber roster you really got to hit in the draft to do that you really do you there's you can't buy it it's not the nba so i'm really down on their ability to do that even though i like the 2020 class i think that class can be really good but that's just not enough to be really good you need to hit on all pros 
you know, you need to hit on Pro Bowl caliber players. And until you're doing that, I won't believe in you. And I think I'm, I'm down on Pete's offensive philosophy because it really requires your, it lowers your margin for error, mm-hmm. I think. And it, it requires your defense to be really, really good. Like if you're going to play the ground and pound thing, you can't have like a middle of the pack defense, whereas you can kind of get away with that if you're throwing it all over the yard and dropping 30 balls. Now it's obviously hard to throw it all over the yard, but as I explained to someone the other day, we were talking about this, I was like, it makes way more sense to be what the Chiefs are or the Bills. Both teams just figured out that we can still be a pass first team. We just need a credible run threat when teams start too high in us up. That's basically what they decided. We just need that. We don't need to be have Derrick Henry. Let's just be credible. You know, that's just all we need—a credible run threat that they have to respect at the end of the day. And Pete's thing is like, now nah, let's have a powerful run game and a credible throwing game. And I was like, that's not how you're going in games as currently constructed. That's just not not going to happen. And to do that, your defense has to be freaking lights out. And I just, yeah, those two components there are like philosophical and like kind of results based with the drafting. That's why I'm kind of low on believing that just a few tweaks here and there is is going to win them some games because like they focused on the games that they lost by one score like look at the ones you won that you probably shouldn't have you know either that's that, that that's that's tough so yeah i think I, I i go nine and eight barring like a i don't know the best draft class in franchise history that's that's probably what it'd be at we're going out on a real low note here. I, I know. Like we need I, something I, more I'll, I'll give. I'll give the positive argument. No, it's it's so funny. We ended that Rams game, and like we did a post game pod, and I went through this long soliloquy complaining about everything, and then concluded it with that is why Pete Carroll and John Schneider should be fired because of those like small moments that you talk about, right? It's coming down to we're furious about this DJ Dallas penalty, about this Sidney Jones not interception or whatever, about the the ball that Kevin King clearly dropped in Green Bay that should have been a <laughs> pass, not an interception, right? Coming back to those moments, and it's like all that's like you should just be better than these teams. You shouldn't be relying on these tiny moments. Thank you. But <laughs> I, I just like looking at the situation that they went through this season, knowing that they still finished twelfth in DVOA, and having a healthy rust for a full season and that, well, that? schedule. Didn't they finished ninth in? Ten, weren't they top 10? In, okay, top 10. In yeah, they finished ninth in a weighted DVOA, I, I believe, by the end of the regular season. And it's just like, I, I still feel like it's worth one more try at it, basically. Like, and uh, Russ, I would be happy to have him be the quarterback until he's dead or whatever. But like, for, for Pete and John, it's I, like- You know, I'm going to go out on a limb. If Russell Wilson is in his mid-60s, I don't want him out there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I gotta gotta push back. But but like I'm like, I just look at all these things, add it all up, throw in the fourth place schedule for next year, and it's like that does matter. That fourth place schedule, by the way, that that does matter. That that I, I definitely is relevant. Big deal. I mean, we looked at the teams like the extra games that they're playing, that they're playing that the oppo- that the opponents aren't, and the difference is pretty huge, right? The that mm-hmm. who knows about. I think the NFC North is one of them, right? Where it's like the Seahawks are getting the Lions and the Rams are getting the Packers, which we don't know about Rodgers, but like it could be a big, big difference between those two teams. And it's just like, I, I, I have full on pivoted apologies to Ben Baldwin. I think Rashad Penny matters. And like seeing <laughs> Rashad Penny mattered in, 
every time he's been able to consistently play, he's mattered. You talk about those games before he got injured two seasons ago, and it was like, mm-hmm. God damn, Rashad Penny looks good. And then finally, when he gets back this year, it's like Rashad Penny looked phenomenal. And I don't know if I think Derrick Henry matters. I don't know if I think any other running backs matter. Maybe <laughs> like that. But like Rashad Penny, the way that he has played when he's been on the field, he was doing not historical stuff this season, but he was he was putting up the kind of numbers in that short period of time that running backs put up for an entire season. The best running backs in the NFL were putting up for an entire season this year. And it's like, who knows if that can be replicated for a full season. But if a Seahawks offense can run through that, and even when you're talking about Carson and Penny, I hadn't even kind of considered the two of them. And it was like, wow, there's, I don't think that they'll bring both of them back, but it's like, damn, this could be, there could be something there. I'm going to choose to take the Russell Wilson positivity and, and feel like we are in a good position for next season. Yeah. I mean, there, the, the, I, I, the, opt- the other part of the optimistic view is, well, hold on. One more pessimistic thing. I think they have a, <laughs> have a, they have a little bit of a problem running that like they want to run it back quote unquote. And I, Pete, I'd love to get Pete's thought on this. He said, I, I forget, I think it was on the radio. He was like, we have the nucleus of a championship team. And I was just kind of curious which players he would identify as the nucleus. Um, and like, who does he think, like, what is the nucleus? Is it like Bobby Russ, DK Tyler? Is that like where you're going with that? It's like, that's, is it Jamal too? So like those five, it's like, ah, I don't know. It's, before they had a nucleus, it was a lot more players um, and was a lot better. Uh, a lot of more a championship. players for sure. Yes. Yeah. Like if your nucleus on defense is like Daryl, he probably thinks Daryl. So like Daryl, Bobby, Jamal are the guys who are under contract, right? Because he can't guarantee anything else. Maybe Jordan. I was like, ah, that's not a nucleus. Um, and I like Puna too, but like that's not. And on offense, you're like, all right, well, Russ, DK, Tyler, because like, then Gerald and Will Disley aren't under contract either. Uh, so it's like that's not a nucleus on that side of the ball either. So that's that's a little that's a little tricky. But Shil Shil Kapadia made this point when Russ come back from injury. It's very hard to have a healthy Russell Wilson and not have a top ten offense. Like it's just in general they've always been able to do it. So um, and even when he finally got going again, the offense was great. That's why Football Outsiders was high on him by the end of the year. So. If you have a top 10 offense, you got a shot. That's the, like, I don't think it really gets deeper than that. I think it really is, like, if Russ is healthy for 17 games, we're more likely than not to have a top 10 offense. And if we have a top 10 offense, we have a shot to win a division, which is true, um, regardless of the strength of the defense. And if you have a top 10 offense and you have a chance to win a division, you have a chance to be a contender in theory. Like, that is the maybe – maybe I should do a column – that's uh, positive like that because that yeah, is the uh, that's the that's the argument i love it yeah, yeah. that's the, that's the i've thought about that a little bit like what would it take like let me hop in like fairy tale land and think about it because that that that's not even and as i'm saying and that's not even that unrealistic it's like oh we'll have a top 10 offense in 2022 because we have russ like, no oh, well yeah probably you know it's, it doesn't really matter what the o-line looks like usually like russ a russ-led offense is top 10. we'll probably see that pretty consistently over the years with some of these quarterbacks that are elite, like a Joe Burrow offense will probably always be top 10. Lamar Jackson, healthy offense, probably top 10. Dak Prescott, like all these, Mahomes, Josh Allen. When these guys are healthy for 17 games, their offenses will probably be the best in the league and they'll always have a shot. Irregardless of defensive injuries or coaching changes or OC changes, whatever, they will probably have a top 10 offense. And if you do, 
Uh, and top 10, I'm usually not like scoring or whatever they say on the TV. I'm talking like DVOA, EPA per play, you know, the nerdy stuff. Your top 10 there, you're probably going to have a chance. So I, I will say that. That's like, if they if they have a top 10 offense next year, they could be like 12 and 5 or whatever. So there we go. All right, they, stop there. They got that shot. <laughs> stop to record. Oh, D. Eskridge is probably part of their nucleus too. Like I, I should shout out D. He's probably part of the nucleus as well. I don't want to exclude him. I think he can be a good player. Yeah, I hope he gets a full healthy training camp yes. and, and they, you know, get a better idea how to use him. Well, Mike, we've taken up way too much of your time at this point. And as usual, great insights into the Seahawks and how they operate. Uh, look forward to making this an annual event and hopefully uh, a happier one than it was for parts of this year's. Yeah, appreciate you guys. Uh, uh, I, I try to be positive with the guys. I do. But it's so five, hard. 2022. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I should, I should say that I want them to win. I want them to go seventeen and zero. Like I want to, you know, cover playoff games. Like that's the I was I was going to the profile pages of all my coworkers that you know covered some of these games. Like retweet some of their work, show some love, and I'm looking at their follower counts, and it's like, oh damn, this is what covering a playoff team does. You know, like our <laughs> Packers guy has like twice as many followers as me. Jordan in LA has like twice as many. Nate, our Chiefs guy, who doesn't even tweet. <laughs> it has way more than me i'm pretty sure so you just got all these in the last last month here i don't know i don't but where's like... twitter at come on i mean yeah we have we have not shut it out I'm, I'm forgetting what your handle is yes it's at mike dugar but i think that like yeah. i just when you cover a high profile like the big like i covered some seahawks i covered the seahawks packers game you know in the playoffs but like there is something to be said for like consistently covering you know high profile teams that you know are good and yeah, that just, I mean, uh, Matt might have got all those followers tweeting a picture of Aaron Rodgers' foot now that I think about it. <laughs> yes. uh, and Nate, Nate's covered a couple Super Bowls. Um, but, like, yeah, some, I was just looking at some of my coworkers' follower accounts. I was like, God damn, I need to cover the playoffs. You know, that would be, that, that, that would be nice. So, yeah, like, I want them to win. I really do. I told, um, told a player that one year he asked me before the season started. He's like, how good do you think we'll be? Like just off the record, he's like, "Yeah, what do you think?" Because he wasn't sure. I was like, "Ah, you guys will probably go like ten and six. Um, <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know. I feel like we go like, I don't know. I, I think so, but I feel like we just, if something goes wrong, we go eight and eight. It's just a very candid conversation. Um, but I was like, I was like, man, honestly, I want you guys to go sixteen and zero. So that's good for my job. I get a raise. I go to the Super Bowl. Like, fuck that. Uh, that is the year they went ten and six. Actually, uh, I got that right that year. There we go. Twenty eighteen. <laughs> Yeah, so I was right. That that was in like September though, or August. So I got to see the roster fill out before uh, right now. So I'm hopeful for 17 and 0. Can I? Can that be my prediction? That they go 17 and 0. Where's the Super Bowl next year? Vegas? Is it in Vegas next year? It sounds um, right. Yeah, I, wherever the Super Bowl is, I would like to be. So <laughs> that that is that's my goal every year. You get to write features. People care. You know, you get better quotes. I wrote no features this year, if you guys. I wrote one, like, kind of featurey thing on, like, Trey Brown, and then he blew his knee out the very next game. And it was like, all right, I'm not writing shit else that's uh, featurey. So I need to get back to that, too. I think, it's selfishly, I feel like that's the one thing I do probably better than most of my colleagues is that part of the job. So I want to get back to that. But you got to win. <laughs> no one features on guys in 3 on 14 team or something. Hey, speaking as someone who once covered the 2007-08 Sonics when they lost to franchise in <laughs> 62 games, it can be done. Oh, but the good news is the team was about to move. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the best part. 
Really yeah, that job. was the good news there. Really great job. Uh, Super Bowl 57, alas, is being played at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Where? Oh, no. oh shit. <laughs> Finally, we can finish uh, off that Super Bowl that got canceled uh, in 2014. Oh, boy. I do love Arizona. I do love going there as a as a trip. But oh boy, I don't know if the Seahawks ever should play at that stadium again. Good, good. Yeah, Lord. I mean, the, oh, the injuries. Like they own it as long as the Cardinals are playing there, but they can't play the Cardinals in the Super Bowl. Sadly. Yeah. That. Oh man, that place is just a house of horrors. Man, speedy recovery to Quandre. Man, yeah. seeing his injury made me. I, I swore in the press box, like out loud. The minute it happened, before the cart came out, before anybody even knew it was hurt, I said, oh, shit. I think it was like Brady Henderson or someone was like, what happened, Mike? And I'm like, oh, my God, look at Quandre. And then, then everyone's seen him on the ground because I saw it happen in real time, his leg do that. And I was like, oh, my God. I just like audible, just profanity, which I never, it was really loud. <laughs> I said it really loud. And I was almost embarrassed. But then the cart came out and it was like, oh, yeah, that's why. But yeah, they should not. Honestly, if the Seahawks make the Super Bowl, they should petition to have it moved. Yeah. <laughs> Do not play that game there. No, absolutely not. And that's why we didn't do Quandre, by the way, back when we did this, because we recorded it immediately after that game and didn't know what his status was. So it's ah. real bad to be speculating on his future at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I just want his leg to be, I just, I want two things for Quandre, man. Three, I want his leg to get better. I want him to get paid and I want him to be taller. You know, he's kind of <laughs> short, you know, that's, you know, he, he he every time he sees me, you guys probably seen him tweet. He calls me little man, and I and when I see him, I'm like, dude, I'm taller than you. <laughs> it's he's one of the few guys on the roster I'm taller than. So I I keep track of all the guys on the NFL I'm taller than. He's one of them. So it's very no way he calls me little man. So it's, it's so funny. I'm taller than him. See that that's that's a story that we could have. Uh... I forgot about that. I forgot it, there was so much that was like early on. Uh, because I don't know if you guys remember, someone asked DK uh something about a foot race and he was like give me i'll give you a 50 yard head start and i can beat you i think it was adam jude and i remember i just i didn't say anything in the press conference i got in the i got in the media room and i was like adam you'll smoke him in a 50 if he gives you 50 yards in a 100 yard race and i was like i'll smoke dk in a 50 yard race or a 100 yard race if he gives me 50 yards that only means i have to be like half as fast as dk which i definitely am half as fast that's a lot uh so yeah, that led to Quandre saying, there's no way in hell you'd beat him. And I was like, I'll beat him? I'll beat you? <laughs> like, what? This was like in like September when everything was fun. Uh, yeah, I was like, I'll beat him? I'll beat, I'll beat all you guys. You give me a 50-yard head start on a 100-yard race? Like, that means I only have to get there in what? It would take DK, what, 10 seconds to, to do that? Maybe 11? It's it's gonna it's not going to take me 11 seconds to run 50 fucking yards. It's probably taking me like five seconds to do that. Six seconds max. Ridiculous. I might send this part of the thing to DK. Like, I will smoke you in a race if you give me a 50-yard head start. As soon as Quandre's ankle heals up, like, dude, I will smoke you in a 50-yard race. As soon as you get paid, 100-yard race, now we already got the contract signed so you don't get hurt. 100-yard race, give me 50-yard head start. It won't even be close. I will run backwards the final 10 wow. yards okay. and, and, still, and still win. Did you guys see that video when I raised Ben uh, Arthur? I, I vaguely in, remember In the 40? Yeah. yeah, I ran like a five flat or something in that. You know, and that was with like, I had LeBron's, I didn't even have cleats. Like, I can run pretty fast. I'm 29, I'm not like old. Like, yeah, that's ridiculous. I'm the same age as Quadre, actually. Uh, interestingly enough, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna send this part to them. It's like, there's no way in hell you guys will beat me. I'll put so much money on the line in that race. Well, we'll get this on YouTube for sure for them. 
Oh yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> On that note, thank you so much for doing this. This is awesome. Oh yeah, my girlfriend's very mad at me because I made her pause Aquaman while I <laughs> oh, recorded shit. this. And no, no, it's okay. She's seen Aquaman <laughs> a million times. She'll be okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like it's not a new movie. <laughs> it's not even good. It, <laughs> not good. Not it, good. It, yeah, it's not good movie. It's 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 fine.